1: Small
0: doses. Self-help from the hip. Small doses. We're talking that shit. Small doses. And keeping it real. Small doses. With me and Anna It's so funky. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Small Doses, y'all. Um, you know, I really try my best with this podcast to let it be a space for truth tellers to not only speak to things that I know you guys are going to find interesting in terms of wellness, in terms of career, um, in terms of art, but also a space for truth tellers to speak their truth. And uh, we have had folks on this pod who have not been able to access platforms to tell their experiences in the past. And I, I really do take pride in being able to be a space where we can do that. And so that brings us to today's guest. Um, now, Maya White is a, I don't even know. I feel like, you know, Maya, I met you uh, on these internets and then you joined us in 2018 when we did Smart, Funny & Black in St. Louis. And, you know, I think, But I think the people in your community know you as an organizer, as an activist, as somebody who is um, for the people. And, you know, when it came to the experience of Ferguson, you were on the ground. And I think a lot of folks only really know about what was going down in Ferguson in 2004? No, 2016. I don't have any... 14. No, I was right. Okay, 2014. I think a lot of people... 14, yep. Yeah, I think a lot of people's knowledge or awareness about what took down, what took, what took place in Ferguson in 2014, in the wake of the murder of Mike Brown by the police, um, has been through folks who arrived in Ferguson, not by folks who were there before, during, and after, and. I know that you uh, were right. very triggered by I know that you were very triggered by the statements that uh the bearded rapper YK cuz I don't even be trying to say his name anymore YK West uh, you know just by the way that he was speaking about Black Lives Matter um and he was saying that Black Lives Matter the that he was saying that Black Lives Matter the nonprofit uh is a scam I know that for a lot of folks, there was a lot of frustration around him just blanketing that because it undermines where the actual movement of the concept of just saying Black Lives Matter came out of. But you were saying on your page that you were triggered because you felt like even just that was not really... Give even even the movement of Black Lives Matter did not give enough uh, narrative to the work that was being done and that continues to be done in Ferguson. Am I saying this correctly? That, that I like the way that you put that. so I wanted to give you a platform to speak to what you feel like has been spoken. What you feel like has been like so misspoken and misrepresented. Also, you know, to what you feel like continues mm-hmm. to be the work that needs to be done and the work that's being that's continuing to to go on. And I wanna hear from you, you know, where you feel like um where you feel like the concept of Black Lives Matter exists in 2022. Okay. So the floor is yours.
1: Uh, Should I start at the beginning of the story?
0: That's always a good place to start.
1: (laughs) Perfect. So um, August 2014, I was leaving work. I was working at a law firm at the time, actually. Uh, On my way home, I saw a tweet that said uh, a teenager had been killed by a police officer in Canfield. I just so happened to have to drive past Canfield on the way home. So I made a right turn or, you know, hopped off the highway, made a right, pulled into Canfield Drive. And that's where I started to see a bunch of commotion. And also police cars just flying by, flying by, flying by. And um, when I got out of my vehicle, I parked at the quick trip that was at Canfield Drive in West Florissant. And that's when... I started to see people kind of gathering, whispering with one another, you know. I walked down Canfield as far as I could get. I did see Mike Brown's body um, on the ground. And from there, I just knew I couldn't turn around, you know, in the in the sense of turn my back to what was going on. Um, I've been part of all types of different movements, I, I guess you could say, from the time I've been in elementary school all the way through um, my college studies which I graduated from Howard University and that's where I was uh, returning uh, to home from. So that's kind of the time period of me finishing up school, starting to get on my feet with working, starting to really be a young adult and really getting my feel for the world and to uh, be coming into that point of time in my life and experience such a traumatic event was very life-changing for me in many ways. So, um, Outside of Canfield, I ended up meeting up with Darren Seals and another uh, friend of ours who has preferred to not be brought into the mix. Um, We told everybody not to leave. We told them to stay there, take their phones out, record as much as they could record. And in the in-between time, we started to make a plan for how we were going to strategize people on the ground because we knew this thing was going to well, further and further over. Um, so that's what we did for those first few days as we started mobilizing the community and getting people out on the street so that they could be present. Because we knew that if we didn't have eyes on the situation, that things would be, you know, potentially swept under the rug totally. So um, I remember that night we had an altercation with police in Canfield where we ended up pushing them out of the neighborhood. It's a Canfield is a one way in, one way out type of setup. So whenever you have something like that um, mixed in with poverty, mixed in with drug use, mixed in with a lack of resources in a community, you you're just that's an equation for uh terrible Disaster. consequence. Yeah, exactly. Um, so. Yeah, we we pushed them out that night. And after that moment, after it's, it's almost as though once they saw that we were united out there together, and these weren't, these are day-to-day people. These are people who get up every day and they, they do normal things. (laughs) You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? They, 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 they don't want to necessarily, um, go too far out of exactly. They don't want to go too far out of the way of their norm. And so to see so many people, um, who typically close their blinds and and shut their doors to what's going on outside be present and willing to participate and speaking up on many things that have been silenced, especially in a city like St. Louis, um, which Ferguson Mm -hmm. is in the county of St. Louis, if people aren't aware. It was just it was empowering for us to see. And I think it was also very threatening for uh, those powers that be, those authorities to see as well. And so once right. we pushed them out that night, they came back and were, were brutal after that point. That's when we started to see the tanks and the militarized uh, uniforms and, and body armor and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so you're taking people who've been in a box and you're putting them out there and, and showing them this is this is your opponent right here. Geared up, you know, strapped up, trucked up. And so we went and got some, too. And that's that's right. that's a part of the story that rarely you hear about. We defended our community, too. You know, like we weren't just laying out there getting shot at, although that's what they tried to do. You know, their children out there having asthma attacks, baby strollers getting knocked over, um, people uh, who came into the neighborhood who were not from the area. So we did have a lot of outsiders start to trickle in from closer drives in. Um And these are like the Ohio's, I'm guessing Kansas, states where people could get to where we were in a few hours. Um, These people would come in and they started to be agitators around night, two, And just just trying to stir things up further. And that, you know, that was also defended. And I vividly remember there were many instances of people being, you know, pushed away from the whole scene because it wasn't felt that they belonged there. In a, in a, in a sense, they're they're, they're stirring right. up more drama for us to deal with later, and so um, we just kept organizing with people who were in the city. At the time, we didn't even have public officials on our side. We had public officials going on the radio saying that we needed to calm down and that um, this issue had been is is getting out of hand. Now, mind you, at this time, there's been no looting, no stealing, no breaking things in, in that way. It's just literally a community defending itself against this force that's coming from the outside with, with literally no it didn't make any sense their response to right the the neighborhood. You know, it just it made no sense. And so in order for us to keep it so that people didn't become overwhelmingly hostile, we had to stay out there and direct the motion. And so when I we were on shifts, twelve hour shift. Darren was still working at the time also. He was wow. working um at uh, GM, a car manufacturing plant, like he's working a regular uh, blue collar job, you know, himself and then getting out after he works that shift at 6 a.m., 7 a.m. and getting right back in the street, you know, like uh, one of his signature uh, outfit pieces or signature, uh, you know, clothing pieces is a white T-shirt. And people used to think he did that, to, you know, for some cool stuff or whatever. But Darren used to wear white tees because he wouldn't spend money on clothes at a point he's like, I have to give everything to my community. So he would get his check. He would do what he needed to do for his mother, for his brother, and then hit the street with that same money in a productive way, whether that's buying children, school supplies, Christmas gifts, putting uh, groceries in somebody's refrigerator. He did it all. And that's what his mission was. And I aligned very much with that. So we got out there together and and got a lot of things done just on the ground and. Um, outside of the radar that people don't necessarily attach to Ferguson. Um, Day three is when uh, police started, um, they did the barricades again outside of Canfield. We had a rally over at the uh, police department in Clayton, and that's the, the police headquarters. And then we went, we took it from Clayton back to Ferguson Police Department and Um, That was the day that I learned that there was supposed to be no officers out there, uh, you know, reprimanding citizens that they were uh, not in full uniform and a majority of them were not in full uniform. Uh, They didn't have name tags on. Uh, They were coming from different parts of the city and county to respond to this issue. So they were out of their jurisdiction and many times some of the uh, some of the ways they were handling people. Um, it was just a variety of, of, of things that came came up informationally, <laughs> if that is a, a term, <laughs> that we were able to present to the police department and say, hey, how y'all are dealing in this situation is something not right about it. And that seemed to agitate them even further. Um, after we left the rally at the Ferguson Police Department, we went back to Canfield. And at Canfield, uh, we had another face-off with the officers there in order to get people into the neighborhood. So these are working people, um, children getting out of uh, uh, school programs and things, because I don't think school had, just, had started just yet or maybe was in the first or second week. It was something like that. Um, but we were just trying to get people home, uh, elderly people trying to come and go. And so when they totally blocked mm-hmm. everything off, There was an altercation with a young man in the middle of the street where he was like, you know, they'll have to kill me. You know, they'll have to kill me first or, you know, something like that. And so that kind of was a turning point because it really showed the lack of fear in these young people's hearts. And so with him putting himself out there like that, what else can we do? Like, mind you, we're 20 somethings, but still we're, we're the adults in this situation for the most part. And so uh, him putting himself out there like that kind of was a symbol, I think, for all of us to know that we it's no turning back now. It's no turning back. And so um, that night I ended up actually being shot that night. And that's a whole nother uh, set of dominoes as it is. We don't know.
0: You know what? There's a lot of stuff on a lot of people's minds this season. And it's not just because it's the holidays, but it's the end of the year. You're asking yourself, like, have I done everything I needed to do that I wanted to do? Did I accomplish my goals? What do I got to do for these gifts? How am I going to manage on New Year's? Am I going to go out on New Year's? It's really an anxiety ridden time, and it can make it really tough to sleep. And you know what? Sometimes you need a little help. Now, a lot of people use CBD products, but they don't really feel like they're working for some folks. I know it about that because I definitely have used CBD products, and I'm just like, is it really doing anything? And if it doesn't feel like it's really doing anything, then is it really serving the purpose? I guess not. Enter Next Evo's Stress CBD Complex. Okay? They've got all different types of products that can really make you feel the CBD in your system because they've got a whole scientific way that it works. They have smart Zorb technology which delivers the CBD to your system in as little as 10 minutes unlike other CBD brands. It also works in a way to achieve a higher level of absorption. Now regular CBD only achieves like 2 to 10% absorption so over 90% of what you think you're getting is actually going to waste. Well SmartZorb upgrades CBD's natural absorption power and it's proven to deliver 30 times better absorption in the first 30 minutes. Y'all better up your CBD level, okay? Help fight holiday stress with Next Evo Natural's Stress CBD Complex Gummies featuring ashwagandha which is clinically proven to reduce stress by 70%. All right. So what you got here is you got CBD on a whole other level with scientific methods to make it happen. I can't give you any more better reasons to try Next Evo Naturals. So get smarter CBD from Next Evo Naturals and get up to 25% off subscription orders of $40 or more at NextEvo.com podcast promo code doses. That's N E X T. E-V-O dot com slash podcast promo code doses and start getting that CBD in your body and get that anxiety out of there. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, you all know I am a very, 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 very big supporter of therapy, and I think a lot of people think therapy cannot maybe be for them because they don't know how to access it, or they may not find the right person fast enough. There's a million reasons people come up with for why they don't want to get therapy, but there's no excuse for at least just trying it, especially when you have BetterHelp, okay? Now, BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service. It's matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists, available 100% online, and it's a affordable. All you got to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. And if things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. And I just want y'all to know that you can get a new therapist. Like you don't have to just match with the first person and think that's the only one that exists. Sometimes you got to try it out, but don't give up on therapy just because it's not the right therapist. There's no waiting rooms. There's no traffic. There's no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash doses. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash doses. Y'all know that to me, this podcast particularly is all about making sure that we are being our best selves by serving ourselves with the best opportunity at our best health, and that's physical and mental. Therapy can help you do that, so let's get BetterHelp. As we reflect this year there's a few things I'm thankful for you know I'm thankful for my family I'm thankful for my animals I'm thankful for y'all for listening to us here at Small Doses I'm also thankful for Honey Love now I am not a shapewear person I really never got into the whole spanks of it all because it just felt like okay so I'm gonna be uncomfortable in order to look good like that I I just sometimes don't get me wrong I sometimes am on my Fernando Lamas, I'd rather look good than feel good but a lot of times I'm just like this is too much but Honey Love changes the game okay because Honey Love's best-selling super Superpower Short has targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas where you need less compression. And so it sculpts and does things for you without hurting you. Then they've got their signature X Targets, which sculpts your midsection without squeezing your natural curves. And it's designed to work with your body, not against it. Now they got the superpower short that helps ladies everywhere sculpt and smooth from stomach to thigh by offering just the perfect amount of restriction. You don't got to roll it down, which is so irritating and unheard of in shapewear. It's a whole process to put it on. No, and it's also a booty lifter. Y'all know y'all be wanting them booty lifters, okay? They've got all of this and more because we've all been here struggling to take off a tight ass piece of shapewear with a bathroom line out the door just so you can get go to the bathroom. Nobody wants it. Nobody wants it, okay? They also have more than wear. They have comfortable bras, tanks, leggings, and everyday support. They've got a crossover bra that's basically the most popular bra they have, and it gives support of traditional bras without using underwires, okay? So... Just more, just several reasons why Honey Love should be a number one gift to yourselves or anyone else you know that likes to make sure that they look a certain way under the dress that they're throwing on. All right? Now, it's whether it's for a wedding, a holiday event, or everyday boost of confidence, Honey Love is your perfect plus one. So treat yourself to the best shapewear on the market and save 20% off at HoneyLove.com with the code DOSES. The code is DOSES at HoneyLove.com. Feel and look as sexy as possible these holidays with Honey Love Shapewear. Ladies. You deserve it. We don't know. That's
1: that's the mystery in this all. So um, a 9-1, the the block where I was parked, I was going to my car. The block where I was parked was shut down with emergency vehicles at the top and the bottom of the street. You couldn't drive on this street. Regular traffic could not come in or off the street. It was a neighborhood street. Um, what do they call it? In a subdivision. So, walking in my car, I hear shots start to fly. I'm ducking bullets. I'm literally ducking and dodging in the dark. And I take a moment, I pause. After I dodged a few, I took a deep breath. And as I took that breath, a voice came into my head and said, the next one is going to hit you. So I braced myself for that impact. And uh, when I looked up, I just felt a total like a blow. It's like a, a metal bat coming across my face. And after that initial shock, I caught my balance. I stumbled back a bit. It was this really cool breeze that came across it, it felt so good and it had been humid and hot uh, you know for the, the past few days. so it, it just it just felt so great and so like I stumbled back after that. I looked down and saw I could move my toes. I could move my hands. I pulled my, I had a scarf on uh, that day. I pulled the scarf down and I tightened it around where the wound was. And then I dropped to the ground. And then shortly after that, and when I say shortly, I literally, this is seconds, everything is happening rapidly. Um, I hear some voices in the distance and there. She got hit, she got hit. So I'm seeing these bodies start to run toward me. It's these four boys. They're running, running toward me. They come pick me up off the ground, uh, try to see where I'm hit at, like turn me over and stuff, make sure I'm not hitting in the back or anything. And they grab me. Two of them grab mm-hmm. underneath my arms and two grab beneath my legs and hold me straight, like plank, planking me. And so they're looking for somewhere to take me. A man opens up his door, comes out of his house with a shotgun about that tall. And he's like, what happened? Wow. You, you know, what happened? What's going on? Is everybody good? So they, you know, the boys are screaming, you know, she got hit. She got hit. So they was like, you know, he was like, where did the shots come from? They was like, we don't know. We don't know. So, um, and they were a few walking a few paces ahead of me um, as I was going back to my car. So uh, the man uh, told them to bring me in the house. So they brought me inside, laid me down. Now, this man had just moved into this house maybe um, that same week. I think he moved in on the first or second of August. Him, his wife, and their three children just moved into this home. So they didn't have any furniture really set up um, or anything like that. And it was around like 11, maybe 1130, something that this occurred. So, you know, they're waking up out of their sleep to this. So they got me laid out all bloody on their floor, calling 911. Um, they said they were sending somebody. Mind you, there's an ambulance parked at the end of their street. They run out to try to get somebody. They get guns drawn on them as they try to go get help. I ended up, as I'm, I'm laying on the floor with a bullet in my head, I called 911. Told him, come get me. <laughs> come get me. Like, you know, I told them what happened and they're like, this happened to you. I'm like, yeah, like I'm laying here right now. I'm bleeding. Like we've been calling on for 15, 20 minutes. They try to let me lay there and die. That's how only way I can picture that going down in my mind. It's an ambulance at the end of the street. You know, and so when, the, when they finally did come, they uh, the, the emergency response came responding to a DOA. So they came in with a body bag and a uh, uh, stretcher, I guess, in a body bag, and no like, life-saving e- equipment at all. And when they came, they also were escorted by police who drew more weapons on me as I was laying on the ground. It had been about five or six officers drew more guns on me while I was laying on the ground. And then when the uh, EMTs were talking, they're like, oh, we got to run back outside we thought this was a DOA. So they finally got me up on the, the board and all that stuff. They had to put my head into a little neck brace and all this, rolling me out to the car, uh, to the uh, ambulance. And then people are starting to come out of their homes and stuff, seeing what's going on. I just started screaming because I'm like, they're going to kill me in the ambulance now. Like, they really they're not playing with me right. they're gonna try to kill me in the ambulance so I just start screaming and just telling everybody everything that I could just whoever was in that surrounding and I can't verbatim go back and say everything that I said but I just know I had a split second to act I gotta let people know what's up so that's what I did I made a big scene and then once they got me in the ambulance I was pretty chill I had I had to think very very quick, um, and and non emotionally as emotional of a situation as that was, in order to get stuff communicated the way that I needed to. So something that if anybody has heard their story, something they might be familiar with, haven't seen is a, a picture of me in the ambulance, I, and people saying, "Oh, she took a selfie of herself in the ambulance." You know, that's shallow. No love. It's the time of social media. Everybody on the computer. Everybody on the phone. Everybody was watching my page from their computer and phone because I was the only or one of the only people who was on the ground documenting in within the first hours of this happening. And and with a platform the way that I had it, the other people who were documenting this were people who others on the outside of St. Louis didn't have that much access to. You know, they don't have their Facebook. They don't have their this. I just got back from Howard. I know people all over the world. Let me put this on my page cuz right. this is happening in my neighborhood and all I used to talk about at school was my city.
0: So tell me this. Mm-hmm. Because I I want to I need to hear how you feel your story has not or how you feel what took place in Ferguson has not been accurate in terms of how it's been depicted by folks that were a part of the Black Lives Matter movement.
1: Yeah, it's been depicted as though, like, um, almost like this superhero entity came in and saved this Black community that was struggling with racism and uh, not able to speak for itself. I feel as though... A lot of people came in and tried to give a narration really? for people who have already written their own story, and um, hmm. they left a lot of us I mean, out of as the an, mix.
0: I guess my 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 thing is how how can organizers who do show up to be supportive of the folks that are already there? How can they better? Um, Or how do you feel they could have... Let's let's actually just speak to this specific situation. How do you feel they could have better supported the community? Because I think what ends up happening is that folks do come in with the best of intentions to use their platforms in the way that you were just saying that you were using yours. Um, And I've definitely heard this sentiment echoed before. So I think for... I think there's this there's a consistent, in this age of social media, there definitely is still a consistent. Actually, you know what? This is not just the age of the social media because Martin Luther King, when he passed away, uh, I, no, when he was assassinated, uh, he had just left Chicago. And there was a very big kind of, um, there was just an effort by the folks in Chicago to say, you know, we actually don't need your help. Like we're right. we're handling things, and you coming here is taking away from the work that we're doing. So I guess my my I mean, my question becomes: What are people expected to do who come to help, but may have bigger mm-hmm. platforms than the people on the ground?
1: Right. Um, in this in this in the event that that is the case. Somebody wants to help who has maybe a larger platform or wider audience, uh, et cetera, or organizing skills or whatever tools that they're coming with in their toolbox. The appropriate way to help is to almost to just stay aware and alert, but to not really until the instructions are given or you go to whoever is doing that core community organize who's known in the community. Um, it's just better not to tamper with it because uh, in especially cities like uh, Chicago, St. Louis, Cleveland, um, these smaller, more hub type, they're they're cities, but they're towns. You have these issues that have branched out from generation to generation to generation. And so the interwovenness of um, these movements, is not just this one time. Mike Brown wasn't just about Mike Brown. We still were fighting for Reggie Clemens. And that's a name most people aren't familiar with unless they're within the city. And you don't understand the context of Mike Brown until you understand Reginald Clemens or Carrie Ball, who was gunned down in the city of St. Louis uh, a couple of years prior to Mike Brown. So these tensions have been building. We've been making a plan on the back end. Just because it wasn't forward in the public eye, doesn't mean we hadn't been working on it. These are things that have been going on since the 90s, if not before, this mobilization of community and now it reached a peak where we finally can do this thing and then boom, it it, it falls flat because now the community doesn't trust what's going on. They don't know who is who. We built this whole thing up. Now you have people who have been embedded in the community, almost turning their back on the community from what it looks like and going off to do this work in other places where it's not even relevant, seemingly. This isn't me. I'm just, I'm describing how this happens. Um It's so not relevant. So people who
0: were working in the, com- so people who were working in the community decided to stop working in the community because other people showed up and it felt like they were no longer given- They were pushed the, out. The acknowledgement they out. or they were pushed out? They were pushed out. They were pushed they out by- they, they didn't
1: come in, they didn't come in shiny and glitzy and glamoury. They didn't have cameras. They didn't have the the- the teams of, of tense people and, and they didn't have that to appeal to people. So now they become knocked down. And then if they're not taking, if they're not taking any of the payouts that come with those situations. So some of the, the more high, higher profile, um, platforms where, um, people were gaining s- some sort of notoriety and maybe making, a uh, business deals on other things that they were doing or whatever for, for the day-to-day person who had been out there that was a you you left us behind because the people who were involved they can't go get no job not that easily it's it's a tough thing In St. Louis you got that mark on you if people knew you from that it's hard to navigate
0: Well, I guess my question becomes, it feels like there's a catch twenty-two there, right? I think there's a absolutely a history of folks who like want to show up and like kind of like take they like be they like become, you know, like the hero in a tragic situation, right? And so they know how to present themselves in that way. Like some people are very good at marketing no matter what the scenario is. I think there's also the um the difficulty of showing up to a place and wanting to be helpful, but not necessarily knowing how to not step on toes while still like adding um, value. But I think my, my my main question becomes, what ways did people coming to Ferguson, because I know so many people that came to Ferguson and was like, we got to go to Ferguson because this is where our help is needed. In what ways do you feel like people showing up to Ferguson impeded upon there being effective change?
1: One, it made it dangerous for the people who have to sleep there and wake up there every day. It made it very dangerous. It made certain areas be a target for even more policing because um, we had such an outpouring of people who are coming in from the outside. And they're not coming in and asking, what do we do? They're coming in and saying, this is what we're going to do. That's, that's a big part of the problem is they come in with an opinion already on what is not, if you want to come help, come help. But you got to help in the way that these people here need help, not the way that you say that you're, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can determine your levels of what you're going to do, but as far as coming in and and, and trying to stir up somebody else's pot, then get in your car and drive home, that's the thing. That's the thing right there. It's not that we weren't welcome to people wanting to support the situation. It's people came in to speak their part on what was going on and give their say-so on what Ferguson was and what it was about. And then the whole time knowing full well who the participants were, who were mobilizing and getting people together, push them to the side, cut them out the narrative, didn't mention their name. Like Darren ruffled some feathers when he was living, said some things that people didn't really like. And so when it came down to doing, um, to, to doing those big talks on Ferguson and what it was about, they didn't say Darren Seals come speak at this. They didn't invite him. They shut him out well, of the narrative I I- because they didn't see him as being a, a valid spokesperson. But really, he was the one really forwarding a majority of what was going on and getting the city together. He had gang members who had been shooting at each other working together, carrying waters and delivering food. So um, I think that if sometimes if it doesn't look all the way, the way people have an expectation to it. So if it doesn't come with the leather jackets and the fists and the afros, sometimes we can forget. Sometimes we can forget, um, you know, the goal or the purpose. And so I think that. I guess my question becomes
0: like, sometimes I feel like I don't know whether it's better that folks are anonymous who are staying there or that folks are put on the front, because I feel like there's two sides, like there's two, because on one hand it's like, okay, people are coming, they're stirring up the pot and then they leave. And then on the other hand, it's, you know, saying like the people who were already here need to be at the front and center. But then I guess my question becomes then how, how do those people remain safe after things start to die down? If they have been put front and center and they're still there.
1: I mean, they don't. That's the risk that you take when when you get involved regardless. And that's even if people are coming from out of town. They, I mean, they make themselves a target as well. Um, at, at the point at which you decide to act is those things come with it. And I think that's what history has shown us, if not anything. And it's it's a uh, it's a hard decision to make for a lot of people, especially those who have livelihoods and lives that they um they don't want to sacrifice in that way. And so they will push certain figures to the front just to say, hey, you don't have anything to lose. No way. <laughs> Go represent, you know. And so um there, there it definitely right. is multifaceted type of uh thing. And it's a sensitive thing. And I think uh in this particular case, because it was such a an in-house type of thing, it, it, the support that I don't even think that we were seeking support initially. Honestly, it wasn't about that. It was, let's tell people what is going on and where we were. We didn't send out an SOS. Now, when people started to show up, it was like, dope, we got some support here, you know, and I'm talking day one, day two, day three, you know, we're like, dope, we got some people to back us up, but you can't back us up when you come in here, getting into it in places where we didn't say we was going to get into it at. Now we got to come back you up and pull you back. You can't come out here from out of town and come get yourself shot up because now we're responsible for that. You know, and a and, and part of the frustration is 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 everybody's safety. So it's not telling people don't come over here. We don't like you. We don't want you. You're not our kind of black. We're not saying that we're saying we're trying to just control this part right here. So no matter if you came from the city, came from out of town, whatever, as soon as you step out there, you make yourself vulnerable to uh, danger, to violence, to ongoing persecution for being involved, you know, because people who had to leave uh, positions that they held for 20 and 30 years because they were involved in Ferguson. It is a double edged sword in that there is risk involved for anybody who comes out there. And, you know, there are people who have long term investments created in and around their lives. So things that they may have been doing for the last 20 or 30 years that they no longer have access to, inside or outside of the city because of their involvement in Ferguson. What it does to you mentally when when you're put into those situations and you see um, how high up this thing could potentially go, how you really are powerless out here when you make yourself a target because you don't know who is who. You know, you become suspicious of new people or people you didn't grow up with or you become more suspicious of people you grew up with because they know you. You know, you start to Move different, and that that is the biggest damage I think that it does to people who have to stay in the city because now you do become detached from the general population. People at home love me, but I know that they they notice oh she moved kind of different. You know, it's it's just like uh you got a Tef Poe, you know, who goes off to Harvard to participate in in educational system and mentally that's a hard thing to do. Put yourself in a, in a spot like that. So can he really shine fully when he knows the whole time it's a red dot on him? You got T-Dub, you know, same thing. His his continually being targeted and and unsure of if, is this a personal thing or is this because I politically was involved or, you know, his music not going in the direction that it, it could go because he gets denied entry into shows or, uh, on uh, lists for album reviews or whatever, because of his involvement in Ferguson, it, it comes back around. Uh, that political. Once you step yourself out there, whether it's a, you know, a physical threat to you, a, a mental threat, an emotional threat, you, you're going to become put in a position to have to either self-destruct or continue in the the destruction and dismantling of what you already did. You're just going to more likely than not have to do it alone or some in some sense of being alone.
0: I feel you. I mean, I think, you know, there really is no real, um, there's no real blueprint. You know, I think a lot of folks, you know, are coming somewhere to lend a hand. There's folks who are coming somewhere to, you know, carry forth like a, a, purpose they feel they have for themselves. Um, and there I don't think I think at this point there's no real like, how do I put it? There's there's no real like blueprint on how to show up. But Maya, I do appreciate you taking time to to share with us your experience and your story because I think a lot of times the critiquing of these types of things can feel like, you know, a very like offensive thing like how dare folks have anything to say about folks who came to help them but the truth is is that like I would say like you everyone has agency and everyone has the uh, right to say how they want to be shown up for and I think a lot of us saw Ferguson we we weren't in Ferguson so we 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 can't speak to that but Maya I appreciate you speaking to that um, I mean I feel like there's there's a lot of work that has to continue to be done to learn how communities can unify outside of their outside of their communities, right? Because that's the thing. I think a lot of Black communities across this nation have been very splintered, and so there isn't really a lot of um, there just isn't a practicum. And I think we got to see an effort made to that in the civil rights movement. And then once integration happened, it splintered it again, right? And so we are we are once again at a time where we have to write their write our own blueprints for the way that we want things to go and the way that we think things should go. And I think, you know, you sharing your story with us is something that is very helpful. And I have an audience that is action-based and they are the type of people who in another Ferguson situation would say, I got to get over there and I got to show up. And now they have an added perspective on how they can show up and another pers- another option on what is expected. I think some people genuinely think if I don't show up loud, then I'm not really like showing up. And mm-hmm. um, I, I hope that at the end of the day, we as black folks start thinking again more like community, right? That's all, That's like my biggest effort is like, how do we continue to look at ourselves individually in terms of giving ourselves individual responsibility to be a part of a community? And right. what took place in Ferguson is something that is etched in many of our minds as a uh, horrific and tragic situation on a number of levels and then you compounding that with telling us about just the individuals that y'all were already fighting for right I think there's so many communities that know that there was someone before you know there's like Tamir Rice is not the first you know uh I live in Florida Trayvon is not the first like this is the, the 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 history of black bodies black lives being taken by police systems is definitely not new by any means But I want to thank you for coming. I want to thank you. I'm glad we were able to figure this out. The the technical (laughs) difficulties be trying to be trying. The machines be trying us. Yeah. But but we, you know, but we, we persevere and that's, and that's what we have to do. So thank you. And you are. You know, you are a strong, I don't even want to say that word first. You are an intellectual, gifted, compassionate woman. And I've gotten to see that in person. I've got to see that on stage. And I got to see that here. And, uh, you know, I just wish you the best in continuing to be able to share those gifts with everyone. Thank you. I really appreciate
1: you having me on and continue doing what you're doing and fighting the machine. Listen. Yeah. (laughs) I think that you provide a lot of... uh, inspiration for so many people, myself included. so thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you. thank
0: you. A podcast network.